0: Welcome to this budget report with State Representative Jason Ortitai of the 46th Legislative District in Washington and Allegheny Counties. I'm Chuck Nichols. Jason, welcome to this budget behind-the-scenes talk here. It's great to be able to get to talk with somebody who actually gets to sit in the room asking questions and, and, and dealing with this wonderful process that most people really don't understand. The governor gives his address, makes his pitch. Makes his overpitch a lot of times, and then uh, and it's it's left to you and the Appropriations Committee to try to whittle this down. Tell us a little bit about the behind the scenes of what these budget
1: hearings are really all about. Absolutely, you know, every year the governor gets to put together his budget proposal, usually the first week of February, the end of January, and as the legislature, we get the opportunity to pick through it and also come up with different ideas and opportunities for ourselves to put together our own budget because we do our budget in June. Why we wait till June after getting a budget proposal in February is beyond me, but uh, we'll leave that for another another discussion. (laughs) (laughs) But this week, we kicked it off. We started off with the Department of Revenue, moved into the IFO, and then we did a couple other agencies. Typically, we'll do two or three hearings per day, and we'll do this for three weeks. Uh, It's really fun to be away from home for three weeks, especially for appropriations hearings, because we're really getting into the nitty gritty of state budget and state financial stuff. When you really think about it, it's really kind of a nerdy experience because you're really just looking at a bunch of books, spreadsheets, doing analysis on uh, basically just spending money for the state. And we're looking at $36 billion, I think, in this year's budget. And I I will tell you that that, this year's budget the governor came up with was kind of – just way out there like I've seen some really crazy budgets but this one has two billion dollars in increased spending which I don't think we've seen for a while since his first budget proposal which was like a 10 or twelve billion dollar expenditure and then on top of that because two billion dollars in general fund spending just isn't enough let's let's go borrow five and a half billion dollars more and spend seven and a half billion dollars this year it just seems like this governor, has an appetite for spending, and I think he sees that he's got a couple years left in office. And if he doesn't enact it now, he's never going to get the opportunity to spend that money. And
0: you mentioned that this is a little bit of a, a neat experience for the, uh, let's call it the 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 math nerds for behind the scenes. <laughs> but it's also one of those experiences that for. For those people who have gotten hooked on watching hearings and and watching people get grilled, this is one of those where a lot of times, you know, these folks come in on a panel, they're, they're put right there in front of you, and you get to ask them the hard questions that really no one else asks them throughout the year, and you get to really whittle it whittle their their money down or maybe give them a little bit more money if they need it can you tell us uh, as as you said you heard from revenue and the IFO uh, what each one of these uh, that you heard from this week what you like to hear what you didn't like to hear who's who's asking for too much money and who's not
1: right and you know th- this whole process is kind of interesting because as committee members we only get about five minutes to ask questions and we have a clock so when we get to the end of it that's it. We get cut off. I've been cut off a few times already this week. With several more questions to go, but with the secretary, with the secretaries in the administration, has been really good at is filibustering our time. So you ask a question, and you get maybe three and a half minutes back in an answer that really isn't an answer. So they're really good at that. And hey, props to them. I can't say that I would do anything differently. So it
0: really means you have to hone your questions down and make sure you know what you're asking for.
1: Right. And, and, you know, what what I try to do is go after the financial component of it and say, listen, here's an account. Like, for example, we get into the Department of Revenue. Everyone's talking about policy. Uh, the governor's policy change this year is combined reporting for the corporate net income tax. You know, the, the layperson, you know, nobody really cares if corporations pay a higher rate. He wants to lower the rate, but Make sure that everybody pays the rate, which you know is fine, but in the end, it actually brings in more revenue. That's an expanded tax. Yeah, I mean, it's just increasing taxes, just in a in a you know a shadowy type way. So we talked about that, and he said a lot more state or a lot more companies are paying the corporate net income tax because of the federal tax code change from last year, basically the Trump tax cuts. Uh, it, what it did was it broadened the base, you had more companies paying, but it lowered the overall rate, which is good, because when you look at our overall economy, and this is where Department of Revenue is giving some forecasts into what revenues we can expect coming in, You know, our PIT, which is our personal income tax and our sales tax collections, are really going gangbusters right now, because the economy's doing really well, unemployment's at its lowest it's ever been in state history. You know, you look at those types of things, and you know, as a state, we're doing really well. It doesn't mean we should go on a spending spree. We should be putting more money in our rainy day fund, which we did last year. But the governor does not propose to put anything substantial in there this year. And
0: and that's exactly kind of what we're getting at here: is that we're having a boom financial year. It's great times in our Commonwealth. We're taking off, and somehow the governor is is trying to outspend even this great time that we're going through. Uh, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, there.
1: Right. I mean, he has Restore PA, which is basically a five billion dollar bonding program that he wants to implement a severance tax for. You know, our gas industry is struggling right now. You know, adding another tax on top of the impact fee would just be devastating. I mean, we've already seen a lot of jobs, and I just there was just another round of cuts this last week, uh, particularly back home in, in western PA. Where a lot of companies are just—they're divesting from from Pennsylvania. One because the business climate has not been advantageous for them because it's hard for them to get permits and there's no consistency there with DEP. So we've been working around that, uh, and you know some of the other things that he wants to do are are, are just out there. And I'll just give you an example: the Department of Revenue diving back into that. Uh, the IT modernization cost—we were all told it was a five-year, forty-four million-dollar contract, and it took a question. To, at that hearing, to find out that it was actually a 10 year contract for $88 million. Like, these are all things that the, the legislature should know when we're budgeting because we have to allocate money for that. And then all of a sudden to come back and say, well, it's double the time and it's double the cost is not something that we want to be blindsided with, especially when you're talking about that much money.
0: Yeah, and especially when you're talking about a public project, uh, you never want to hear, you, you want to hear that it came in under budget and early, not twice the budget. And twice the time.
1: I will tell you, in my short time in the legislature over the last six years, uh, I have noticed a lot of contracts with the government always go over, uh, not just in time and duration, but way over on the spending side. And that that is with the unemployment compensation, and uh, that was bad. And and that's something else that got
0: mentioned in the in this budget with the governor is he already did a, a fair amount of spending that uh, that wasn't authorized and uh, and was asking for supplementals to pay for it. that's another thing that when you're looking at this you're going to have to come up with money again on top of that that it has to come from somewhere.
1: Well, that's where he hides the money. We had over another half a billion dollar in supplemental appropriations that he came back to us with that we have to figure out how we're going to pay for because he couldn't stick to the spending plan, which is ridiculous because he did the same thing last year. And what was what was okay about it, not that it was okay that he spent more money, but it, we were able to absorb it because we had record level revenues coming in. We could take that hit. We can't keep doing this every year, doing a billion and a half a billion dollars in supplementals. He's got to learn how to rein in the spending on his side and put stuff in budgetary reserve. but. You know, we talked a little bit about that with the IFO. The IFO uh, talked about performance-based budgeting, which is important. We're slowly rolling that out. It takes time. Uh, Again, you know, property tax. But I'll tell you, one of the things that we're all very concerned about is the incoming or upcoming silver tsunami? We have an aging population in Pennsylvania, which is going to eat up a lot more of our programs, and yes. it's really going to increase spending. We we had the lottery in, and we were talking about them. Yeah, they are they are making record profits, but the balances and the amount of money that we're using from the lottery continues to go through the roof, and we're going to have to figure out how to get that under control real soon, uh, or we're going to have some real budgetary problems. I mean, we're at a thirty-four billion dollar budget right now. We could be at forty-five or fifty billion in the next ten years. And and this is also
0: ties in with what we hear about the pension issues as as we have an older and an aging workforce. people retire. and 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 suddenly the the demographic of the whole state changes and it, and, it, and we have to really be prepared for that, moving forward.
1: Right. And you you have games of skill out there, illegal gaming that I mean, I think the Department of Aging said it's taking a projected two hundred million dollars a year from the lottery fund. Uh, just because it's not, there's no revenue coming from that. Uh, you, we did increase the the threshold for Pace and PaceNet so more people could get access to those programs. Uh, but from a, from a GGO point of view, from basically a government staffing point of view for aging, they're raising their salary and benefits overall in their line item this year by 14 percent. I mean, that's way above the, the rate of inflation, and it's not just aging that's doing that. We're seeing that across all the government agencies. Their GGO lines are going up by double digits, and it just doesn't make any sense because they're not really adding any staff. It's just to take care of their salary and benefits for their existing employees, and that's a tough sell to the taxpayer. They're not seeing right. that kind of raise. You're not getting anything more.
0: This is just paying for services that you've already received. Exactly,
1: exactly, and, that, and that's the hard part. So we talked a little bit about that with the IFO, and I will tell you one of the reoccurring themes that kept coming up, uh, the Democrats kept bringing it up was minimum wage. You know, when we have record level unemployment. I cannot believe that we're spending a lot of time talking about minimum wage. I, I saw the numbers. I, I think it's the the 2018 numbers came back at just under 90,000 people making minimum wage out of a state of a 13 million population. And I don't know how many of those are actually teenagers. I would imagine that maybe half.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say most most folks who are making minimum wage are on their very first job. Or are very very unskilled folks trying to get some skill to work in the workforce? Once you're in a job for three or four months, you're usually not making a minimum wage. Right.
1: It, it was never meant to be a living wage, and you know we heard the the emotional stories that you know we, people who get into minimum wage jobs, you know they're going to work to the day that they die, and they can't afford to take vacations or pay for health care or, or pay for care. You know it, there are opportunities out there, and you know especially in times like today, there's that those opportunities to grow and find those other jobs that are out there. You're not going to be stuck in one job. You're going to get the skill. You're You're going to find other jobs, and you're going to apply for those. But I will tell you what really shook us up yesterday. We had a Department of Labor secretary, in, and he just, I don't know, he let the cat out of the bag. A half a billion dollars that we spend as a state every year in workforce development programs. We have a ton of family-sustaining jobs that we can't fill right now because there's a skills gap. Well, if... We're spending a half a billion dollars a year. Now, a lot of this is federal tax dollars. Some of it is state, but it still comes from the same people. We need them to do a much better job than what they're doing right now. A half a billion dollars and we can't match our skills up in the state? That's pretty sad. Because yeah. he said yesterday, and I quote, it's embarrassing that we have not raised our minimum wage. Well, it is embarrassing. That we spend a half a billion dollars a year and we can't match people up with the right jobs. It's embarrassing that we're talking about minimum wage and not the skills opportunities that are out there for all of those people who may be making minimum wage right now. Well, and you hear about
0: uh, a lot of technical schools, things like that, that have 90, 97%, 95% when they graduate, they have a job. Yeah. And then you hear about the folks coming out of our state schools who are really struggling to find jobs with four year degrees. Uh, you know, it, it is time to take a look at our our, our education system and make sure that we're.
1: Meshing in the right direction, right? Here. And and I've got a package of bills that's going to be coming out in the next couple months to help address that. It'll help address some of the student loan issues that our state's seeing, and it'll help career track kids expose them to different careers and opportunities that are out there, so they see more than what's just in front of them on a day to day basis. And that's the whole point of that. Uh, but in, in getting back to this, you know, the IFO, I think Director Nettle did a great job because we it was basically asked, you know, okay, if we raise minimum wage, what's it going to come out of? And he says, well, two thirds of that will come out of increase. It will result in increased. Product cost, and the other third will come from a reduction in profits. Well, that makes that's a big deal, and hearing that from the IFO made a whole lot of sense. So I was I was happy to hear that out of the IFO anyway.
0: At least some honest talk, and 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 put put some real talk behind the numbers
1: here. Yeah, yeah, and you know, just just to kind of wrap things up with the last two hearings that we had today, uh, we had the state police and Department of Corrections. You know. There were some big issues today, and I, and I admit I got into the weeds a little bit with the uh, gun background check system. You know, A few years ago, I think it was 2017, 2018, the governor zeroed out the line item for that because that line item, the gun background check system, is funded by the fee that people pay when they buy a firearm, uh, and it's also augmented by a general fund appropriation that we, that we uh, appropriate for them. Well, for the last four years, I've had a bill to eliminate the pick system, and today uh, the Democrats decided that they were going to say that it's, it's, you know, I can't believe that we're sitting here talking about eliminating the gun background check system. Uh, but I, I think that they just didn't have all the facts. And the fact is is that the, the federal system, the NICS system, is, is basically the same thing that we do here at the state level. It's very duplicative. It costs $8 million less a year to operate. We have to do a few technical things behind the scenes here that are possible now in the year 2020 that were not possible back in 2010 or 1998 when this system started. And that's what I was trying to explain today was that there's the, the, the big case was there was 1,500 PFAs where people don't – they just have names. They don't have number identifiers like birthdays and addresses to match so that the state police can send that information up to the feds. That's great. We need to do that. We can fix that. We can fix that by giving them access to the driver's license database. There's pictures there, people can see it. It's very easy. It's very simple. It solves that problem. It doesn't cost eight million dollars. It does not. Now we we budgeted about seven, eight million dollars a year for. It. We could probably drop that line to a million. Because we're still going to need people to send those criminal records and everything up to the federal system. But what they don't understand is, is by operating the way that we do now with this system, we make everyone else in the United States less safe because we're not sharing that information with the feds. That's important to note. So not only is it a safety issue, it's a cost issue as well. That's why I brought it up today. And it did get a little bit contentious. And, you know, I apologize a little bit about that. But it was just I, I went to Clarksburg. I met with the people who run NICS at the FBI. I know how this works. I've been working on the legislation for a very long time. It can work. It can save the Commonwealth a lot of money. I think the state police agree, but they don't want to give it up. And I understand that. But, you know, I respect what they do and they do a good job over there.
0: I wanted to bring up one more thing with the state police and that the governor has been kind of harping on this idea for a couple of years. And that's using the state police. um, The state police already patrol all over the state and they patrol rural and urban areas the same. Um, But there are areas of the state that pay for their own police service, and there are those that rely solely on the state police. The governor has been trying to find a way to make this a little bit more equitable from all sides. Uh, what do you think of his proposal this year to kind of even this
1: out a little bit? And and, and where do you stand on this? I, I think his proposal is even worse than it's been in years past. I think he's just beating a dead horse. I mean, you, you're going to ask a lot of every municipality to pay a fee or basically a user fee. And all you've really done is just irritate everyone. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I know what he's trying to do, you know, and, and I get it. But at the end of the day, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It may look good on paper or sound good, but it just doesn't. It doesn't resonate with people. And it's not something that people are like beating down. My door now i will tell you as soon as it came out i got a bunch of phone calls saying hey you have to oppose this it's this a terrible idea and i get it not every one of my municipalities has police coverage but the vast majority of them do whether they have their own police force or they contract someone else but i i, I don't understand the fascination with continuing to go down this road when it just has no traction whatsoever uh, representative ortitai thank you for coming in and talking with us and
0: giving us this budget background and Please join us again next week. We'll uh, dive back into what you hear in the next week of uh, budget hearings.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Week two, we'll, we'll finish. Uh, we'll finish up with week two, and then we'll be back for week three. And then hopefully, I get to go home for a little bit and have some fun. Jason, thanks for this report, and we'll talk to you next week for another budget report. With Jason Wortieta.